different things. One of them was demons. Remember? And how Jesus had authority over demons. He was stronger. He was the power that they would obey. They had to obey him. They were in fear of him. Uh, he also taught the Bible. He taught the Word of God. He taught things not from someone else's name or in someone else's name, but he taught in the authority that he was being the Son of God. He didn't need to have somebody like refer to the other fathers and things like that. He was the Word of God. He was the one who had been telling the fathers what they were going to be telling other people. So it was straight from the source, straight from Jesus, and he was the authority. And we we learned about that authority and how um, there was a new teaching because it came straight from God for the people there, and they paid attention, right? They paid attention to it. They knew that he was different, that he spoke in a much different way, and he, he was even able to free people from demons, Well, Mark is a book in the Bible that is known for addressing demons. And we may not be used to hearing about that in our time, but it does wake us up and make us think, you know, maybe the things that we're seeing that are happening in the world, if they're not of God, they are of demons. And I don't think it's a thought, it's it's a reality. Because Satan is the prince of this world. It's written in God's word that way. But Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater than Satan, and that is why we worship him, and that is why we need him in our lives. And so we are going to proceed and go on with some scripture in the same chapter, in chapter 1. This is a mighty, mighty chapter in God's Word you want to be familiar with and you want to learn, okay, and spend time with it. All of the chapters in the Bible are important, but this one really stands out in many different ways, and it, it is mainly because of Jesus that we read this gospel and any of the gospels. Uh, I want to begin by saying, kind of following up on what Kid had already said, and the, the, the title of the sermon is Preaching Like Jesus. It could be seen as being kind of provocative, you know, and I, actually that was what I have in mind, but it wasn't, I wasn't trying to be provocative. I believe that Preaching like Jesus speaks what we find in the Bible. Uh, We are disciples of Jesus Christ, and he has given us authority to speak the word of God in our world. And so it it is not just in the way we act toward one another or show affection toward one another. We are to speak the word of God to one another and to people. And that is what I really feel that I I have a vision for all of you, that we more than we are doing now speak the word of God freely with people that we meet and engage them in it, right? Maybe some of you are already doing that's a great thing. You want to keep doing that. But for some of us, you're thinking, okay, I go to church to hear someone speak about it. But that isn't enough. That isn't enough. You're not fulfilling your role as a follower of Jesus if you're listening to me only and then you go home. What, it, what, it, what God calls us to, and we were talking about last week, is that he disturbs our lives so that we are awakened from our stupor and the thought that we can just kind of go through this life, going to church and then going back home and thinking that that is the way it's planned. It's not. That's a misconception. It's wrong. We are not fulfilling the gospel 
And what the, what the message is in the Bible when we don't speak the word of God to other people. When we speak the words of, of God to other people, what do we think about? Perhaps you're thinking like, well, I don't know what to say. I can relate. I remember when I was a young kid and I had a friend who was not a follower of Jesus. I was, you know, I always wanted to talk to him about it. And, and I was very shy about doing that. He had another faith than I. But I always remember we were, we were in, I think it was in Philadelphia or D.C., and we shared a room in a hotel. His parents were very kind to me. They invited me to go on trips with them. He was my best friend. And so, you know, but we didn't really talk about God. But one night in that hotel, he was lying there. It was dark, you know, before we went to sleep. And he brought it up. He said, what do you think about God? What do you think about these kind of things? And, you know, I really, I really knew in my heart what I believe and things like that. But I didn't know how to put it. You know, and I don't remember exactly what I said. But I don't want that to be the case for everybody in our church. Okay? Whatever age you are, you want to be prepared for that moment when someone brings it up or you have an opportunity to bring it up yourself. That is what we're here for. You may think it's for another reason. You, you have a right to think whatever you like, but the Bible says otherwise. It says that we are here to tell people, to preach the word of God, to tell people what we believe. And in order to do that, we need to learn from Jesus. We need to, how did he preach? How did he go about it? What did he do? What did he say? What are these things? And then we have to really pray for the Holy Spirit to help us and generate that kind of a power in us that in the, when, when the moment comes that we can bring that up. We need to seek more opportunities to engage with people with the word of God. Okay? That's what I have as a vision for everyone in our church. No one in the church that comes here really should feel like they don't have a right to preach and to say the word of God in that kind of a way. Remove all of the things that you've heard about preaching, and I'm going to remove all the things that I heard in seminary about how you can be a good preacher as a, as a, as a, as a, a person who, who is a pastor or something like that. I'm just going to say, like, just forget about that. We all have to be equipped with word. Some may have a gift to preach in a, in a pastoral role. Not all over, not everyone is going to be a pastor maybe, but there are surely really enough verses in the Bible that like the ones we're looking at here and we're gauging it with in, in Mark where you can see that gulp, I am really actually supposed to speak about what I believe in and what I learn every week at church or during the week in Bible studies or wherever you're engaging in that kind of a way. It's useless if you go to a Bible study and you don't speak about it with someone else. I mean, it's not completely useless. It's useless in the sense that you're keeping it to yourself. It isn't intended that way. It's only half-baked. Okay? That's really what I believe. You know, being honest with you. No one should ever have an opportunity like I have with my friend who is talking to me and engaging with me and bringing it up in that hotel room in the darkness of that door. And, and I, was a, I was just a kid in middle school. And have that opportunity and let it pass by. Every age has the opportunity to share with about Jesus. Even Natalie. Even Natalie. Even Crit. All these kids. These kids are young, right? But we are supposed to learn from what it says in Timothy. Don't let people look down on your age. Speak about God. 
Engage about it. And so shake loose. Shake loose all of the inhibitions and the things that you're thinking about yourself. I can't do this. It's not true. But we, we need to learn to, we need to learn what to say sometimes to be able to say it. And that's what we're doing. We're being equipped by God's word here. So let's take a look at God's word. And I hope that this will help today for you to be able to know what we want to say. And, you know, it's not like everything that you can say. And there are things that we want to do with our lives to help people to see God in us. But I think we're going to learn here that preaching the word is really important, the most important thing. Okay, so let's take a look at the beginning here. Immediately he left the synagogue. Jesus left the synagogue where he had just exercised a demon from a guy. Right? Just exercised this demon from somebody, and the guy is like, normal. (laughs) I mean, think about it. Right? And he leaves there. And he, where does he go? He goes into the house of Simon, who's Peter, and Andrew, his brother, with James and John. And so he goes away from this, this place where there are a lot of people in the synagogue, and he goes into a home. And that, I think that that is really, you know, the focus of Mark. He wants to see, us to see. It's not just in church. It's not just in the temple. Right? It's also in life. Okay, right? He's going into a home. What could be more different than a church than a home like that? But then, actually, it shouldn't be that way. Homes are also used for church. And they were used, actually, at the beginning of the of the time when the Christians came together. They just gathered where they were. So it's interesting, right? Peter has a mother-in-law, so he's married. How often do we think about that fact? When we think about Peter, we think of this fisherman, but he was married. He had a mother-in-law. Right? And she lived with him. Right? And she lay ill with a fever. And at that time, a fever was a very, very serious thing. Today, we take an aspirin, we take a Tylenol, we feel much better. Oh, I feel, you know, the fever's gone. There, at that time, it was called the fire disease. It was a fire disease because it was so severe. Think about what, if you ever had a fever and you, and you're in need of something and you're thinking, oh, what am I going to do? I have this a huge fever and you can't take anything for it. Right? And that, that was the case here. And so, what does Jesus do? Okay, first of all, Simon, uh, the, the, the disciples who were there, his brother, the, he and his brother, and then James and John told Jesus about her with the fever. He came and he took her by the hand, lifted her up, and the fever left her. And she began to serve them. When we read that kind of a thing, it really has to, you really have to take some time and take that in and be in that situation like that. There's a terrible, terrible thing that happened to a woman, right? The mother-in-law of Peter. He brings this guy named Jesus home, right? And usually she would be up and serving people that came into the house, you know, to be very hospitable and to show them respect and things like that. And she can't get up. So he goes to her. And he takes her hand and lifts her up, and the fever's gone. Gone. And what does she do? She starts to serve them. She goes right back, does the thing that she wanted to be doing in the first place, and she couldn't do, so he takes her. And, he, and in, in comparison to what we heard before, it was Jesus speaking words, commanding a demon to come out, and in this case, with the fever, he went over to this elderly, with assume it's older than Peter anyway, and takes her by the hand and lifts her up. He doesn't speak a word. 
And so we see another aspect to, to Jesus in this kind of a way. And I, I think there's a gentility to him, right? He's looking at this woman here. He's not talking to someone who is possessed with a demon. He's going to a woman, and his approach is different. He takes her by the hand, and the same effect, right? Actually, it's interesting because in the book of Luke, it says that he rebuked the fever. And someone said, well, maybe there's a demon that caused the fever. Who knows? I kind of started thinking about this this past week. If you've been reading in the, the lectionary about demons and how, you know, if there is something that is really sick in a person, is that of God? I don't think so. Right? So who is it of? What causes the sickness? We could say, well, it's caused by sin, you know, and we've fallen into sin. But really behind all of that sin and the one who led us into sin is Satan, right? We need to, we need to, you know, not just think when we read these, these, these words in, in the Bible and think, oh, that was way back then. They don't exist now. Demons are just, you know, that was then and, you know, it's different now. How is it different? I, w- I would be interested in knowing. How could that be different? It was just like at that, back at that time. But anyway, you know, there, maybe there are other, uh, versions and you, you may have an, another thought, but I, I really think in my, in my short life, and the, the people that I have met in my life and I've engaged with and I know that are sick or they're suffering in some kind of a way, I can't possibly think of anything that would be good in it. And if it's not good, then that, that would really be the opposite of God, which is Satan. There's something going on there that he's causing and a disruption in that way. We also have responsibility for our lives, but we cannot overlook the fact that there were demons at work here destroying people's lives. And Jesus comes, and he destroys them. And that is why we need Jesus. Okay, So this is a beautiful, beautiful uh, kind of a segue away from the, the, the demon there. And he comes and he takes the woman by the hand, and she's healed. And I believe that that is also pointing to a healing that Jesus wishes and desires to do in each one of us. We're not supposed to just say that happened to her, that her fever was gone. We're supposed to see that there's something that is wrong inside of us that Jesus comes and he wants to take away so that we can be freed up and we can get in, get on with life, right? We need to pray. We need to do those things in that kind of a way. Secondly, that, that, that evening at sundown, now this was after the Sabbath was over. They, people came after the Sabbath was over and they, they brought all the sick, these sick people are oppressed by demons. Again with the demons, right? All these people heard, oh, the demon was taken out of this guy. Word got around, and all these people came with the, with the people that are sick, and there's people that are having, de- that are demon possessed, and they come and they bring all these, these people to Jesus, and the whole city was gathered at the door. Can you imagine? At the door of where they, where he was, at the home of Peter and his mother-in-law who was just healed. Right? They all come and they're all like, I don't know how many people, but it sounds like many, right? And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. So he continues to do that right there at the door. I mean, I would imagine it's right there where they were. You know, can you imagine the, 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 the scene there with all of these demons being released of people that were tormented and, and hurt, you know, for who knows how long? And he comes and he, and he frees them, man, right? I mean, it's amazing who Jesus is. He's just this incredible person. He was like the rage 
Everybody was just like, wow, I gotta go, and we gotta go see him. Okay? Right? And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him, right? So the, Jesus did not want to hear his name spoken. He, he wanted them to be out. They had nothing to say. Silence. Come out of him, he said to the other one, right? Get out of that person. Right, so we have this kind of a scene here where he is doing a miraculous things, but now the, sh- the scene shifts again. Rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. This is, this is another lesson for us here, right? To be, how is your prayer life? How is your prayer life? Right? We need to be praying. We need to be praying to God, to be in touch with the one who gives us life, who can help our, in our need, who, who our lives are dependent upon. And Jesus went to pray. Amazing, right? The Son of God himself shows us that he humbles himself and he prays to the Father. Seeking, seeking support, seeking this connection. It must have been, if you have one person in your life that is sick and you imagine, you know, this past week we experienced that in our own family and my, my soul was aching and my, my, I was very worried for the person in, you know, the most important person in my life feeling ill and it took a toll on me. Can you imagine how Jesus must have felt being the one who was responsible for bringing these people into the world and seeing them all being possessed by demons and then having to deal with that and to see them all coming to him in that kind of a way. And then he had to go and he had to find help from the Father. And so he teaches us a lesson there that we also need to be praying with the Father. Right? We need to do that. I cannot, I don't, I hate admitting this, but I have trouble praying. It's such, it's just a terrible, terrible thing to have to admit. But I know that I have to keep trying. And I'm not gonna give up. And I hope one day that I will stand here and say, I've, you know, I'm, I've covered that. I'm not gonna say that I have trouble praying anymore. But there's something within us that, that makes us feel like I got to do something else. You been there? You feel that? We have to help each other. We have to encourage each other somehow. We have to be better at that. I think as our church, we have to do these things more, you know? I was thinking about the pastoral search committee and how it would be good maybe just every Saturday morning, whoever wants to get on Zoom, get on Zoom and start to pray for that. You have to be, you have to be intentional about things sometimes. You can't just say, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do a better job with that. One thing you could do is get a get a kneeling kind of a a, a foam thing to, to kneel down on, so that it's there in front of you, and you can. Even that though can be you know unused. <laughs> it has to be inside us. It has to be we we're convinced of the importance of it. And Jesus knew that he could not go on in this life is in in the life that he's living in a man, right? That he's he's a man. He's totally God and he's totally man, but he could not go without praying to the Father. And that's a big lesson in itself that we learn in this section of Scripture here. And listen to what happens. All the people, right? This is why people have trouble praying sometimes. All the people come to him and they go, where have you been? You've got to come right away. All these people, they want to be healed. They want to be, you know, take all these things to be taken away. You're the man. You're the big guy. You know, you're the Messiah. We, we, we knew that you came for a purpose and here you are. And now you're going to do what you came to do. And Jesus is like, I didn't come for that reason. 
And you're like, what? Doesn't he care about all these people that are, you know, coming in like that? But let's go back to that for a second. We distract each other from prayer too, don't we? Sometimes, I mean, it's like, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna text you. And you, you know, we can put the thing on silent, but it still comes through. And we're living in a world where we're constantly being, being interrupted. And I have to say, it's annoying. People are not annoying, but we're living in an annoying world because people are always getting to you and trying to say, where are you? Are you going to pick up your phone? I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And you're like, I'm praying. (laughs) Okay? (laughs) Well, maybe we do need to just kind of say, I'm praying. Can we? Can somebody show me how to do that on my phone to put it, you know, to an automatic? You know, I'm I'm in praying mode. <laughs> I'm not silent mode. I'm in praying mode. Maybe I th- I really think that that should be done. I'm going to do that. And it's not being rude. It's saying that that is where I need to be right now. What I need to work on is actually be praying when I'm saying I'm praying in mode. You know, in mode. That's but we have to. If we don't pray, we're lacking a big, big part of our lives. We need to be connected to God. So let's, let's try to do that more as a church and maybe it'll kind of, you know, like spill over. Um, and, and everybody will be praying. It'll be wonderful. So they were saying, everybody's looking for you. And he said, let us go to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. He didn't say, let's go over there so that I can go and take care of the sick there. He said, I need to go there and preach the message there. Okay? That's why I came out. So is Jesus saying that he's, you know, doesn't care about the people that are sick? No. What he's saying is that what I have to say is for the sick. What I have to say is for the sick. And he's talking about the sick soul. The soul that is sick needs to hear the word of God. And it's God's design. I can go up to somebody and I can help them and they'll say thanks a lot. But what did Jesus do? He healed lepers and only, you know, some stayed. Where are all the rest? They didn't react. They didn't, they didn't acknowledge him as being the one who's the son of God, right? People are like that. We, you do something nice for somebody and then it's forgotten, right? I mean, it's just the way we are. But the word of God is powerful, man. The, the word of power, the, the power of God's word is powerful. Please, when you're, when you're speaking to people, use the word of God in what you're talking about or relate it. Right? There's two steps. You can, you can talk about something that is going on that you're, you're really happy about and you want to share with people and stuff like that. But find a way in the Word of God and spend time in the Word of God to get it out there. If you do Facebook or if you're doing Instagram or if you're doing other things like that, that is a huge ministry field if you can use it and mention the Word of God. But don't kind of slide it in there. Bring in the Word of God. Because if you don't, you're leaving out the power. Right? 
So we need to do that. Now, this is what I want to tell you about for the, for the, the things that we talk. What is Jesus talking about that he needs to preach? If we go back and you turn to the beginning of this powerful chapter in Mark, then you'll find out that in verse 14 and 15, it says this. Now, after John the Baptist was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. So, okay, so that is what he's doing. He's proclaiming the gospel of God. We have a, a good news club at the, at the school right down the street, Roosevelt School. It's called the good news club. That means gospel. The gospel. Right? And we teach the kids that. And they're like, we're like, okay, does anybody know the meaning of the gospel? And they're like, no. And you say, well, you're coming to the good news club. That's the gospel. <laughs> That's what the word means, right? It's the same with us. We're like, what's the gospel? Um, I used to know. <laughs> it means the good news. Good news. That is what God brings through Jesus Christ into the world. But it's not just through him. It is him, right? And that's what we're seeing here, okay? The gospel of God. He proclaimed it. So this is, this is the deal. The, the time is fulfilled, he says, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Okay, so learn this verse. Learn this verse, mark it down, imprint it in your mind, and use it in your mind every day because you're going to go out putting on love. And this is it. The time is now. The time is fulfilled. The time has come. Bingo! The time has come. Has the time come in your life today? Is today the day, finally, that you're going to do something that you've been waiting to do? Jesus is saying, this is the time. The time is fulfilled. All the time has been waiting for is this moment right now. What could be more attention-getting than that? The time is fulfilled. All the prophecy, everything that mankind has been waiting for is now. This is the day. And he's in it. He's the reason. He is it. And the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand. You need to be familiar with that. This is what you're thinking about inside of yourself. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, turn from your sins, and believe in Jesus Christ. Those three things, okay, are, are belonging to the message that we, pro, we proclaim, and this is what we're made for. This is why we are disciples. This is why we are witnesses. This is the reason we are Christians. Let me give you a few uh, words from some people that, that wrote very, very good things, okay? This guy named May said this, With Jesus, the preaching of the gospel begins. All who follow him will be called to deny themselves for his sake, and so for the sake of the gospel. That's in chapter 834. All who follow him will be called to deny themselves for his sake, and so for the sake of the gospel. They deny themselves for the sake of the gospel. They put away all their inhibitions. They put away all of their I'm afraid. They put away all the what is going to happen if I say this and do this and all these things. And they take that step forward. Today is the day. The time has come. Amen? The time has come. Can you say it? The time is come. Today is the day. Get up saying that every day. 
Today is the day, not like today is so horrible. Today is the day. Jesus Christ is my Savior. Today is the day. It's his words. Where the gospel, which begins with Jesus and has him as its substance is preached, there the reign of God is present. Where the gospel, which begins with Jesus and has him as its main point, its substance, is preached, there the reign of God is present. The kingdom of God. There, Jesus, where it's pre, where he is preached. He is the kingdom. He is everything. Another guy, this guy named uh, Jacques Ellul, said there are no such things as Christian principles. There is the person of Jesus Christ, who is the principle of everything. Jesus is the principle of everything. It's not Christian principles that we believe. It is Jesus Christ that we believe. But you will say, what do we know about this kingdom of God? The central point we can already know and is already real is the lordship of Jesus Christ. And all Christian realism ought to be based upon this lordship. The lordship is the objective element in the revolutionary Christian situation. Revolutionary is the great, is a great word to use here. It is not like it used to be. It is something new, a new teaching with authority. Amen? Now let's go back to the kingdom of God for a moment. Okay, the kingdom of God, very interesting. The kingdom of God, when Jesus said that word, he actually used Aramaic. He used Aramaic, and the Aramaic for the kingdom is the sovereign authority of God. Dig that, right? Didn't we just hear that in the teaching? A teaching with authority. A teaching with authority. That's what they, what we, we just read before that. And now we're hearing in Jesus and what he's saying he's going to proclaim is this, not the kingdom like a Walt Disney World kingdom. We are talking about the sovereign authority of God. That helps because then we are able to see something there, not just a kingdom or a place that we're imagining like anyone, like any kingdom or a place where we live under a rule like that. It is the, Sovereign authority of God. That is the kingdom. And what that means to us, really, brothers and sisters, is that we submit to it, that we are under it, that we belong to it, that we are in it, that we are, that we are serving Him, the sovereign authority of God. It's not just a, a, a place like that we're thinking of. Let me read you what someone said about this. That means that the kingdom is not really a place, rather the presence of authority of God. We bow before it. We worship the Lord with our lives. I think that that helps a lot to be able to to, to understand when we're talking about the kingdom of God, which is one of the biggest, if not the biggest part of the teaching of Jesus and we and the beatitudes that we're learning in class after this are all a part of his teaching that the kingdom of god you can see it in the beatitudes theirs is the kingdom of god theirs is the kingdom of god humble yourself humble yourself then you are you're belonging to the kingdom of god you're submitting yourself to that it's a demand upon our lives 
It's a demand upon ourselves. I'm going to talk about that a little bit more, but let me, let me talk about some other things first, okay? So remember that when we're talking about the kingdom of God and we're saying, and Jesus is saying that, right? He's proclaiming the king, the kingdom of God to these people. Then what we are doing is we're talking about the, is the, that there is a sovereign authoritative God in the world. He exists and he is the one we serve. Okay? Second of all, what do we do when we, when we hear that and we know that? We repent. To repent and believe in the gospel means that we give ourselves completely in submission to God and our lives are changed. We repent of our past ways, turning away from them and giving our lives to Christ. And the reason we today believe comes when we hear about Jesus loving sinners enough to die for them. We hear about our sins, we repent of our sins, and we believe in the power, the authority of Jesus to forgive us and to make us new creatures with a promise of heaven before us. That is what happens when we repent, right? As disciples and witnesses, we preach the Gospels to others like Jesus did. The difference is that we do not proclaim ourselves, rather Christ. We do not, but we do, we do not, um, what's the, we don't soften it. This is this is really this is really a, this is very important. Okay, there's a lot of times that we, with our upbringing, or we 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 have a certain kind of a thing of of a false image of humbleness. Okay, we we have to say God's word the way it is and trust that it will work in the people we're speaking to it. You don't what, what, make it soft. What buttercoat? Buttercoat? What? How do we say the butter? Sugarcoat it. We don't sugarcoat it. You don't like say, "I'm going to make this sweeter for you, so it's hard for you to take." You do that. You're not trusting the Holy Spirit. You do that. You're not going to be doing. It's the same thing when I was in in that room with my friend. I'm not going to. I don't want to. I don't want to hurt his feelings. I don't want to, you know, damage his faith in his own religion and things like that. All that kind of stuff. That is sugarcoating it. You have to stand on upon the gospel. You have to stand upon what we're learning in the word of God and trust that it is going to have the same effect that it had on all the people that became Christians and gave their lives for Christ and were willing to be de- to, to die for it. It's not easy. Yes, it's not easy. God didn't say it would be easy, but we speak the truth to people and we use the word of God to speak for itself through the Holy Spirit so people will be saved. Right? We can't, we can't have it like part of the way. Can't have it part of the way. This is one other thing that I, I, I read about repentance that I wanted to share with you. It's written by someone else. Repentance means a change of mind and a change of direction, turning from rebellion and submitting to the terms of surrender. When we repent, there is a profound moment of realizing that rebellion against the king has been the pattern of our life. We confess that we have tried to be our own king. Faith, belief, then receives the terms of peace that have been extended and accepts Jesus as Lord. A good definition of faith is reliance. Reliance. When we repent and believe, we turn from our rebellion to rely completely upon what God has done to save us. We are relying on him. We are relying on the word of God. 
We are not thinking about our own selves being able to do something to do to, to make someone believe. We are relying on the truth that is found in the gospel. It goes against all of the things that are, that are in this prince, you know, the, the, the satanic prince world that we are living in. It goes against all of that. We should expect that. But in order to face that head on, we claim Christ and we speak his words. Speak his words. Get to know them. Claim them. If you can't remember them, open your Bible with someone and say, this is what I believe. That would be the greatest thing to take out a Bible and show people. Show people the source of your belief and, and the things that you believe in. I want to, I want to just share something I feel that, that God put on my heart in regards to, um, this, this idea of, of what it, what it means and, and how God looks at us and how Jesus is looking at the people and wanting to save them. And I don't know if this is really, you know, I'm just going to tell you. There was a little, there was a little boy, in our church um, many years ago, and um, I, I don't I, I don't want to say very much about him, but our church was on a busy street, and there was a day there when he wandered off, and you know we don't know how it doesn't matter how, but he wandered off, and he was standing down by the curb on this busy street just standing there, and I saw him, and I had this panic in my mind. I was thinking, okay, so if I yell to him, he might run into the traffic, right? And it was about 100 yards away. And I, and I thought, okay, so what am I going to do here? So I just think, okay, please just stay where you are. Don't go any further. And thank goodness there were people that were slowing down in their cars and there was actually people who were trying to get someone's attention thinking, you know, they were worried just like I was worried about that kind of a person, you know, being down there, this little kid. What is he going to do? We got to get him away from what is he, you know, how did he get there? And thank goodness when I ran down to him, he didn't run into the street. He just looked up me at me like, what's wrong? <laughs> right? Right? And I was like, Come on, let's go back to church. <laughs> you know, come on with me. We're going to go up here. It'll be okay. And he's like, okay. <laughs> that is the way that God feels about us when we don't have him as Savior. That is the way that God feels about you and me when we don't have him as Savior, when we're living our lives and we're in this incredible place of danger and he's looking at us and he's thinking, you got to get away from there. You need to come to me. You need don't don't run in. Don't go. Don't go any further. Don't go into that traffic. Don't be killed. And that's exactly the way Jesus feels about us. And that's exactly the way Jesus feels about those people here. And that is why he's going to them. And that's why he went to the cross for them and for us to die for us because he doesn't want us to be run over by a car. And in all of our adults, you know, or whatever it is, whatever age we are, we are prone to say, leave me alone. I'm going to stay here in this dangerous place, and you can't make me leave it. And think about, think about how it would feel if you saw a kid 
and you and you went up to them and you said, "Come on with me, get away from the dangerous place. Come with me. I'm going to take you back where it's safe." And they say, "Forget you." And that's what we do to God. That's what we do to God. We say, "I don't need you. I I'm going to do what I want to do." And we don't we don't understand really what is happening. We don't understand the danger of sin. We don't understand the danger of being led by Satan. We don't understand living in this world, in the place that we are, that there is one who is there caring for us, and that is immensely sad. That God has made us and created us for something beautiful, and we say to him, Take off. Leave me alone. I don't need you. I'm going to do this my way. And the thing that is so amazing about Jesus is that he keeps coming, and he doesn't leave, and he stays on that busy street with us, and he keeps on telling us, come to me. I'm going to save you. I'm going to take you into a place where you're going to be completely safe. Your life is going to be transformed. I'm doing this for you. I'm telling you, please, please, please come to me today. And your life will be good. You will have security for all eternity. You will be with me, and there's going to be such beautiful blessing you can't possibly imagine. Please, would you, please, would you just come with me? And I think that that, from Jesus going to his mother, to Peter's mother-in-law and, and healing her from a fever and lovingly restoring her so her life would be there and going to these people and outside the door there and healing all these people who came, it must have made him so sad to see the torment that they were going through, but yet he knew that there was something more than the physical harm that they're going through, that there was a soul in each one of them, that there was a spiritual disease that was caused by sin in their lives that needed to be fixed, and that was what he came for and died for and rose again from the dead for, to give us victory, to have that victory. And that is what we want for people in our lives, right? We want to go to them and say, do you understand that you're going to die? You're going to be killed by a car. You're going to have something terrible happen to you. Can you please just come with me? And I'll lead you to Jesus. That's what we do. We preach like Jesus. We, he's, he's compassionate. He's filled with mercy. He's filled with love. He's filled with sacrificial love. He's filled with an, a, a thing that this world cannot understand, that I can't understand, that you can't understand, but yet it's there and it's real and it's free for anyone who will just take it.
And so we have to get involved with people's lives and we have to give up our own. And then we understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And then we understand why we're here. Right? And so just, just to remember if you can, God can help you and he can, he can help you in many different ways to use scripture. But this platform, this, these, these things here that Jesus introduces really gives us a good way to begin to, to, to spend time with it. The time is fulfilled. That means the time is now. It's, it's not time to put off anymore. Right? Is it time for you? The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. Let us turn from our evil ways, from our sinful ways, and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is where we begin. That is what we explore all through the gospels, all through the New Testament, all through the Old Testament, the incredible mercy and, and grace of God that Jesus would come and save us from our sins. I want to just read you some words before we close from Paul, who was saved and gave his life to Jesus Christ. I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you. And brothers and sisters, that is what we do, is preaching the words of Jesus, preaching like Jesus. We have received something from him, and we pass it on to others. As of first importance, these things, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried, and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter, Cephas, and then to the twelve. That is the gospel. Those are the things that we that we we learn well, and we share with our friends, with our families, with people God brings into our lives that need to have salvation, so that their lives will be out of danger, and that they will be in Christ. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the gospel. And we thank you for Jesus. And Holy Spirit, we thank you for you being our comforter and our seal. We pray that you will help us where we are in each one of our lives today to understand our our situation without you and to also rejoice in our lives in you. We pray that you will help us to see ourselves as your witnesses to understand that that is our purpose when we follow Christ. We are your disciples, and we are living under your sovereign authority. You are our God. You are our Savior. You are our comforter and our guide, and we love you. And we just pray that you'll use us so that many people's lives will be saved. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.